0: Hi, welcome to the Faith and Culture Now podcast. I'm Scott Schiffer, and today I am joined by Christine Han Jones and Aaron Newton. Aaron, Christine, good to have you guys with us. Hey. So this is Aaron's first podcast, but Aaron is a grad student at. B.H. Carroll Theological Institute, where she's studying Old Testament. And uh, for those of you who have heard Christine on here before, uh, you'll know that she has a PhD uh, in English and uh, teaches English and music classes at Dallas Baptist University. And I am over at Criswell College full-time doing uh, Master's Arts in Christian Studies. So with that being said, today we're going to talk about a number of issues uh, related to Both the arts and related to culture. And I want to start with um, something that is becoming, I guess, very prevalent in, in at least social media that I'm seeing, where Christians are very negative in their behaviors towards celebrities who claim to be Christians, but who don't hold to their specific set of Christian ideals. And so, for example, I was in a conversation with somebody a while back and Uh, I made a mention, uh, I made mention of one of Justin Bieber's new songs, which has a lot to do with faith. And the person said, Oh, is he a Christian? And I said, Well, I believe he is a Christian. And another person in the conversation said, Well, he thinks he's a Christian. And um, so apparently, this person knows more about Justin's uh, spiritual life than Justin does. (laughs) uh, But, uh, or certainly more than I do. Uh, But in reality, you know, I don't think that we need to be labeling people or judging their hearts or the positions of their hearts Uh, but it sort of made me think about all these other celebrities who claim to be christians and you know openly claim that a while back in the news chris pratt um, was uh, given some negative press by some marvel fans and the first person that came to his defense or at least the most important person that came to his defense initially was robert downey jr And one of the things that Robert Downey Jr. said was, Chris Pratt is a Christian, he's a godly man, and he lives by example, and he lives his faith. And uh, it was a lot for, I think, Robert Downey Jr. to make these claims and to say this stuff. Uh, But it's interesting because I've heard a number of Christians say that they don't like how Chris Pratt behaves as a Christian. Uh, Yet you look at someone who's not a Christian, who's openly not a Christian, like Robert Downey Jr. saying, actually, this guy is living it out. And so my question to you guys is how do you think we as Christians should support celebrity type Christians who aren't Christian celebrities, but rather people who claim to be Christians who have these kind of areas and levels of influence in our culture uh, in a way that's both uplifting to the kingdom of God and also true to our own faith or understanding of faith? So, Aaron, what are your thoughts? It's
1: a good question. Um, I saw quite a bit of of what was said about Chris Pratt um, and some of the other comments that were made. And and I definitely resonate with you with this idea of, you know, a lot of the judgment is coming from these celebrities that are not living the Christian life the way we believe, you know, is our specific ideal, probably in a lot of um, gray areas. And I think a lot of this, my initial reaction is that as a culture, we have this very strange um, idea that popularity equals authority. So even though these people have a very large following, we then esteem that as, oh, they are the authoritative voice in what, how, you know, their different places that they identify. So if they identify as a Christian, this is the authoritative voice where we might say, well, you know, their popularity really isn't, meaning everything coming from their mouth is perfect Um, and, and I don't know, I, I personally don't love celebrity culture or just our culture that wants to obsess over celebrities. And, um, I think it, it puts us in little traps where we, we take their highly publicized life and then critique everything about it only because our lives are very, very private and we don't have to have that kind of, um, that kind of scrutiny like they do. So I definitely have a, you know, that feeling where Jesus says, you know, he, he, without sin cast the first stone. So I, I don't think that we need to participate in beating people down over every small um, thing that they say or do that. We just feel like we don't agree with um, just because they are Christians and have a wide following, but they, they do have a huge influence. And so that does have to be taken into account. Um, but, yeah, I, I just, I, I think we have a very warped sense of how we view celebrities. And um, as believers, we probably need to adjust that quite a bit.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, our warped view, of, warped view of celebrities has sort of also translated into this creation of Christian celebrities where you have these pastors who have way more influence and, uh, you know, than they actually should as well. So it, it sort of goes, you know, it goes kind of both directions. You have these Christian celebrities that are popped up on a pedestal, and then you have celebrities who happen to be Christians who are scrutinized, but for a different reason. So very good. Christine, what are your thoughts?
2: Well, I find that some of the way we treat celebrities reflects the way we uh, treat each other in the church. Um, I I've probably, I feel like I may have made this joke before on this podcast but maybe not there's an old joke that the difference between a baptist and a methodist um, is that the methodist will say hello to you in the liquor store and that's an old joke about differences between you know who who approves of drinking or whatever but i found that kind of um preferential treatment of the outer shows of piety to be kind of disturbing in certain areas of evangelicalism that I've been part of. Um, if you look the part, people will accept you. And I, I see this getting echoed in how we treat some of these celebrities. Like the deal with Chris Pratt, I think was that he was like cohabiting with his fiance before they were married. Um, And this is one of those outer shows that a lot of Christians have elevated to perhaps a higher level of importance than some other Christian virtues. Um, Or I think about uh, Kanye West when he did his big uh, gospel album and that whole situation. One of the first things he did, or at least that was publicized, is he was like telling his wife and daughter to wear less revealing clothing. And I remember thinking that and just feeling like there was a discipleship problem. But why is this the first thing he's doing? <laughs> why is this the big outer sign of his faith that we're going to point to? And maybe that's just a media problem. Maybe that was exaggerated in the reports. I don't, I don't know the full story. But it rang true with me in some of my experiences that people will judge a person's um, sincerity of their faith, not so much on the fruit of the spirit, but on these kind of easily manipulated outer shows. And I've seen it happen a lot in church life. So I think if we uh, address those kinds of things within the church life, then maybe we would have a different view of our Christian celebrities as well.
0: Yeah, when I think a lot of the issues that sort of get elevated are also all non-essential doctrinal issues, you know, none of them have to do with, oh, well, his views on the Trinity don't align with traditional Christian values, you know, Christian beliefs, you know, his his views on the death and resurrection of Christ aren't there. No, nobody's, nobody's talking about that, uh, but the last I checked, when you read Scripture, it's your belief in the person of Christ and his work on the cross that, you uh, Brings you under the umbrella of Christianity, not uh, so much, you know, uh, whether you're a Democrat or Republican or you know whatever else, right?
2: Absolutely, yes.
0: So, well, very good. Well, I think that uh, there's another actress. Her name's China McLean, and um, people our age may not really recognize her, but um, people that are my daughter's age will, because she's a big star on Disney and uh, she is an outspoken Christian, and one of the things that she really focuses on is the fact that we just need to love one another, and the fact that, you know, as Christians, we're called to share Christ's love, and to love people where they're at, and to meet people where they're at, and to recognize where people are, and to give them the love of Christ in that situation, and, um, you know, as far as um, how we deal with people who have higher levels of influence or higher levels of just um, I guess if you will just public appearance right Uh, people who seem to have um, a lot of stage time in the public eye you know instead of spending all of our time critiquing every little thing they don't do right uh, I think what we need to do is like you one of you said was there's a discipleship problem you know we need to we need to show them love where they're at we need to encourage the things they're doing right And then where we can, you know, and whoever is in their life and able to do this, you know, take the discipleship to them uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, people just sort of hammering them out, sort of church disciplining them publicly without ever having talking to them, having talked to them personally one-on-one as scripture says, you know, look, if somebody's doing something that's out of line, you don't make a big display of it. You go and talk to them about it. So anyway, all that being said, uh, when it comes to other uh, issues of uh, how people are represented in media and so forth. Our second topic today uh, involves the idea of representation of special needs and the participation of people with special needs in especially ministries. And so, Erin, I'm going to let you uh, open us up with that topic. Uh,
1: so, this is close to my heart. Um, in 2016, we had um, twins that were born, and due to a complication that we knew ahead of time, One or both would have special needs, and um, ended up just one of the twins um, has a variety of disabilities. Um, And so we kind of were thrown into this community that we really had very little interaction with prior to uh, our son's birth. And it was really eye opening to see that there were a lot of things in culture that were not easily. able to navigate with a child. I had a child with a tracheostomy. He also had a ventilator for quite a while. So we learned like, oh, there there are a lot of things that are not adapted um, for children or even adults um, with various disabilities. And and then there's been like a movement that I think is kind of starting to gain a little more momentum with different companies um, using models and representation in their advertisement of people that, um, that look different than the typical uh, model that's been used in the past. And it's been a huge blessing, I think, for this community to see, oh, there's children with Down syndrome in this gap ad. And, um, you know, having my child see somebody that's in a wheelchair and, you know, on TV and things like that, participating in the world that we live in is just really, really good. And, um, when it comes to church, we still have that acceptance because we view all people as the image of God, but sometimes ministries are still only geared toward, well, this is your ministry because you guys are a little bit different, um, and not always an inclusive nature, even like, you know, summer camps. Well, this is a sports only summer camp. I'm like, well, my child's on a ventilator. I, I couldn't bring him to something like that. Um, and, and while my child has improved in his health, um, we're still part of this community, even if some of his outward um, things look typical, even though inwardly we know he still has um, delays and things like that. And, and I didn't know what y'all's thoughts were as far as how the church has responded or you know how can this movement that we see in the um, culture kind of influence the church and how we Um, embrace this community and, and help them be like whole members, not just people to pray for, which is usually where we get in, you know, thrown into that group.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I think that's a really good question. In the last few years, um, one of the churches in town where I live in Midlothian uh, has actually developed a special needs ministry. And primarily this has been uh, to uh, give parents an opportunity to connect with one another who are, you know, all people who have children with special needs. And I think that's been a really big help um, just because, you know, in the past, a lot of people sort of feel like we're out here doing this on our own. And uh, when you've got other people you can share with and, and have a seat at the table, uh, you know, in the church going, here are the things that would really help us be able to integrate in the church better, then the church leadership is able to take that and go, okay, here's what these guys are saying, here's what we can do to help this, and uh, I think that's the kind of stuff that we need to see all around in in our churches more. Um, I think that uh, it's also important to uh, not only, you know, hear what the parents are needing to to try to help with this, Uh, I think it's important to uh, make sure that we're doing things or making things accessible to people uh, with special needs so that they can feel like they are more a part of the community and the group's Um, you know, it's obviously, I think it it sort of changes over time, you know, when uh, you have someone who's special needs, who's, you know, say two years old, or three years old, uh, your needs are going to be very different than someone who's special needs, who's 14 years old. Um, When I was a teenager, there were two people in our youth group with special needs. And I remember them going to summer camps with us. I remember them doing disciple nows with us. I remember them, Uh, actively, you know, involved on Wednesday nights and, uh, you know, just, you know, all kinds of stuff, but there had to be sort of a conscious effort on the part of the leadership to go, we've got to make sure that these people can participate and that we're not promoting something that sort of excludes these guys. And so just the mindfulness of, you know, let's make sure that what we're doing is open for inclusion for everybody, especially, um, you know, as far as, you know, physical handicaps and things like that are concerned. But um, yeah, so those are my thoughts. I think, it's a, I think it's a great topic, and I think there needs to be more and more um, discussion around this topic, because like you said, it's sort of a movement that's starting to pick up steam, but it's, it's still got a long way to go for, um, especially for a lot of our churches, to really uh, make these kind of accommodations so that things are more integrated and just become part of the DNA of our churches.
2: Yeah, I agree. Uh, This discussion of how do we um, make our church services more accessible for everyone is really important and it starts at the beginning of your planning and you have to integrate it into the design itself because if you find yourself in a position of having to make exceptions or accommodations, it's a lot more difficult. And this is something I've been learning um, just in my class design Um, when I make accommodations for students, at first, it was like, oh, I have to provide PowerPoint copies for some of my students. So this is like a common kind of request that comes through. Now, I always provide PowerPoint um, copies for everyone. It's built into the design of my class so that that accessibility option is already there from the start. But these are the kinds of things that take time to learn. And if our churches are places that are inaccessible, then it's very hard to build that rapport with the disability community in order to find out what people's needs are, so it, um, it, it's, a, it's a process, but we do need to be aware of, of building in that accessibility at all levels, um, and I think, too, this comes back to our, a lot of this comes back to our theology about what, what does it mean to be created in God's image, I love that we acknowledged early on, um, Aaron acknowledged, oh, well, Christians, we believe that we're all made in God's image, so we have that value there. But do we, at every level, um, are we in subtle or not so subtle ways expressing messages that people with disabilities are somehow marred in that image or or showing forth that image completely? Look, all of us are walking around. Um, showing not the perfect version of the image of God, because this is what it means to live in a sinful world, but all of us are also showing forth God's image uniquely. So I find it helpful to ask myself the question with every person I am interacting with, what can this person show me about God? How is this person showing me God's image? Um, And it's not something that I'm perfect at at all but if I keep that question in my mind it helps me to interact with the people I come in contact with as if they are showing me God's image and um, that's the kind of theology and preaching and teaching that perhaps if we have more of in our churches we'll have a better foundation for helping people be included at all levels but it's a, it's a tough it's tough. But you know what? Representation does matter. Um, I, I, I find it to be very helpful um, just to see, uh, as a as an able person, to see wide representation or to, to see, I've seen clothing companies now start to embrace um, different ways of making clothes fasten on people so that people of all different abilities are able to wear those clothes that are fashionable. I love that trend. And I love how seeing it get lifted up makes me aware of what the people around me are going through differently. So I, I just, I, I think that representation is really helpful. So some of it could, could start at how, what kind of images are we putting out there of our churches? So just representation on the church website, things like that.
0: Yeah, I think that's great. And um, representation is incredibly important. Um, I, I would like to add that when it comes to the Imago Day. Uh, one of the implications of all humans being created in God's image is that that means every person is deserving of value and respect and, you know, honor, right? People should be treated uh, well, no matter who they are. And, um, you know, when when we think about treating everyone with dignity and respect because they're created in God's image, I think it helps keep to the forefront of our mind as well uh, the kind of things that we need to be doing to um, make proper accommodations uh, and to ensure inclusiveness for people with special needs. Um, the other thing I want to mention with representation so, you know, uh, like them or hate them, comic books tend to be some of the leaders in our culture with regard to representation. And one of the things that comes to my mind initially here is. Um, you know, everybody's familiar with the character Batgirl, right? Uh, But um, what a lot of people may not know is that in one of the comics back in the late 80s or early 90s, somewhere around there, she was paralyzed and her character uh, was in a wheelchair uh, between the mid 90s up until about 2012. And then they sort of revamped everything and all of a sudden she can walk again. But um, the, the, the thing is, though, is that there are so many people who really resonated with her character being a superhero in a wheelchair for 15 years in the comics. And uh, it's because there weren't really any other hero representations um, across the board uh, with you know, the no ability to walk, right? And so I think that anytime we can make representations for people uh, and get them into stories, get them onto the screen, get them into literature uh, it's always it's always a great way to encourage people to give people uh, you know hope and and excitement, but also um, doing that kind of representation also keeps those issues at the forefront of the rest of the public's mind, and uh, then of course gets them thinking, oh, in our situation, how do we deal with you know people who can't walk or or whatever the case is, you know, people who can't see or can't hear or. Um, you know, have mental handicaps, whatever the case, um, we need to, you know, see those kind of things so that we're reminded that, hey, that exists, and we need to uh, keep mindful, you know, keep ourselves mindful of it, so any other comments, Erin, from you?
1: Well, I'm just really encouraged to hear what, you know, other churches are doing, and we've had a good experience um, where we're at, and I think that it's it's really good. And, and I feel like the representation is a conversation we could apply to a bunch of other aspects of church life and, um, different communities that, um, feel underrepresented. And, um, I think it's, I think it's good. Um, the image of God and, and applying that to issues of like body image, uh, I think we'll carry on, um, even if you were not born with a disability, you can, you know, through different life events, you could basically join the community Um, and thinking of like Batgirl. So she, she wasn't originally in that community, but she had, you know, she becomes part of that group and it's a really hard uh, journey to accept that something about your body is now not functioning the way it used to, or the way typical um, bodies function. And so, I think it's really good. And I think um, that the church is, you know, prepared to, to move forward, you know, as long as, like we said, um, we keep that question in mind of how each person um, is a representative of God. And I think that does build in value and respect for other people, which is, I think, a key aspect in so many areas of our life right now in our culture. We need to value other people um, for being, you know, who they are. Here, here.
0: I'm a huge fan of the Wallflowers. That's uh, Jacob Dylan's band. That's Bob Dylan's son. And uh, on one of their more recent albums, there's a song called The Hospital for Sinners. And he argues in the song or presents the idea in the song that the church should be a hospital for sinners. Uh, But I think you can take the concept of that and sort of apply it across the board. You know, all people are hurting. All people have struggles in life and the church should be a place where they can go to find comfort in the midst of their struggles, whether it be uh, some kind of a disability or whether it be just you know life circumstances or poverty or whatever else you know, um, the church should be the place where people can come, be accepted, be encouraged, and learn how to grow in the image of God into the person that God's created them to be. So very good. Well, um, our third topic today is a little more lighthearted and uh, it has to do with literature and it has to do with how literature affects who we are and how we think so christine what are uh what are the i guess sort of the basics of this topic
2: okay so i found this article it's from the april edition of christianity today and it the headline is reading is up during the pandemic that's good for christians so this article is by karen Pryor. And Dr. Pryor is a literature professor, and she um, has a book called On Reading Well that basically argues that uh, reading great literature can help us grow in Christian virtue. And it's a wonderful book that I recommend. But I was really struck by this one quote that is in the article, so I wanna read it for you and get some reaction. So she says, I do not think it is overreaching to say that the future state of literature and literacy will directly reflect the state of the church and its role in influencing the surrounding culture. I thought that was a pretty big statement. And so I would love to hear your thoughts on that. And on the fun side, I'd love to hear what what is a non-Christian book... Could be fiction, nonfiction, whatever. I mean, I, I lean toward the literary, but any kind of book that has somehow shaped your faith or your ability to read the Bible or uh, anything related to Christianity, I want to explore this relationship between literature and literacy and the Christian faith. So I'd love to hear your thoughts and then I'll give you mine. Um, All
0: right. Well, yeah. To begin with, um, I think that the idea of literacy clearly reflects the church's role in influencing society. Uh, I also think it influences our ability to understand scripture. You know, um, when we read scripture, we want to read it literally, which means literarily, right? You read it for what it is and as it's presented in the text. And uh, in order to do that, you've got to know what kinds of grammatical structures are taking place in the text what kind of um, imagery is being used Um, you know it doesn't hurt or help it does help to uh, understand chiastic structure and poetry and things of that nature uh, to sort of really make sense of what the text says and when people don't read they lose the ability to read well and as you lose the ability to read well you lose the ability to understand the things you do need to read, and so I think it's important for Christians to read outside of Scripture to help them better understand Scripture. Um, With that being said, uh, unlike Christine, I do not really read um, fictional novels very often at all. Uh, I think the last one I read was one of the Hunger Games books. My wife asked me to read it, and I did it in one night, and um, uh, then we could talk about it. Uh, but um, I just tend to go more towards nonfiction. I do like graphic novels, uh, but that's a little bit different. Um, uh, Very visual, and I like to see what the artists are doing with their work. But there is a book. I've got a copy of it right here that I'm showing you guys that people on the podcast can't see. It's called The Righteous Mind. Um, The subtext is Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion. It's by Jonathan Haidt. And uh, it is a vintage book and vintage is the press. This guy is a um, left-leaning liberal uh, political commentator who is not a Christian, makes it very clear in the text that he is not a religious person. And uh, one of the things that I love about this book, though, is that it talks about the um, uh, the moral spectrum of the political right and the political left. And his whole purpose is helping the two sides learn to understand what kinds of issues are most important to the people on the other side so that the people can meet somewhere in the middle and have meaningful, productive conversations. And so it's a really great book, and it helped open my eyes to understanding some different ways that people who see things differently than I do see them and gave me some ideas for how to better approach people from different perspectives. Uh, in a productive way, understanding uh, hopefully better where they're coming from. So I think that's a great book, and uh, it's a it's a pretty easy read, but it is about 500 pages, so it's not a super quick read, but uh, but it, but it's a good one.
1: I loved the article um, by Dr. Pryor. I love reading. Um, I do read. Uh, fiction. When I get a chance, it is hard as a student um, to find those places and time that you can read for fun. But I, as an Old Testament uh, student, um, and especially working on thesis research, my whole realm is basically taking the literature and texts from an ancient culture and trying to build an idea of what their culture, what did they value, how did they see the world based solely on what they left in writing. So when she said it, it does affect our culture. I'm like, exactly. That's, that's how it's been. And I think even as we look at church history, um, and once, you know, in the reformation as they were trying to put the Bible in native languages and, and translate it into English so that the common person could read it for themselves. We obviously have this huge shift in, um, in their faith and because now people could read it and you know start interacting and making that faith personal. Um, so I definitely think the idea of literacy, um, in her article, she makes a point to talk about, we are becoming a culture that does not read well because we're easily distracted. Everything is just quick paced and it's all digital. And then and I think she linked to a, a scientific study about how the brain is affected by constant digital information rather than reading from pages, which I did not read that link, but I'm sure it's fascinating. Um, But I I see that we may be kind of leaning toward that loss of literacy um, like they had prior to um, the printing press and translations and things like that. If we're not careful enough to learn to be well-rounded in our reading and to learn to read well, And she even talked about how sometimes people are not choosing well-written literature, and that's an art and something that sometimes has to be taught to people. Um, Personally, I struggled with reading or enjoying reading as a child um, because of the genres that were usually assigned. I learned pretty early that I love science fiction, um, and I love fantasy, but science fiction was my first love. Um, in literature. And from that and becoming a believer right around the same time I learned I liked science fiction, I started to realize that a lot of the issues that are presented in sci-fi is very ethical um, because you have the advancement of science and technology and kind of, you know, quoting Dr. Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park, like just because we could didn't necessarily mean we should. And, the number one book I would pick as far as like first influential novel on my, my faith was Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. And I don't want to ruin the book for anybody, but a major ethical dilemma is how do we use children in warfare? And there's a humongous ethical issue that's presented um, at the end of the book. And it started just this thought process of how does my faith, um, interact with, you know, our ability as humans to do things it doesn't always mean that that's the right thing to do. Um, so it has definitely affected my life and, and what I read. I wish I could read for leisure more. Um, but right now it's just academic research. So it's, it's a lot of gritty, just scholarly works for now. Yeah.
2: Erin, I can relate. The first thing that I did when I finished my dissertation is I read all the Harry Potter books because I never had. And so it was it was this wonderful, indulgent time of just reading a bunch of stuff just for fun. Um, thank you so much for your thoughts. Uh, Scott, I want to tell you that graphic novels count. So if <laughs> you want to tell us about any graphic novels we should read, um, that's great. I, I love this idea that uh, sci-fi, course sci-fi is always bringing up these ethical dilemmas man we need more sci-fi in our lives today to help us think through the difficult issues that are in front of us Um, and I wholeheartedly agree with the idea that when we grow in literacy we grow in our ability to read the bible I I suspect that I have some students who are reading literature based on the way they've been taught to read the bible in some of my classes teaching here at a Christian University. I'll get people who will take a, like a stanza of a poem out of the context of the poem and build an interpretation around that without looking at the rest of the poem. And I think this feels very familiar to some of the ways I've heard people interpret scripture based around a single verse drawn out of context. Um, so I, I try hard to help my students read for the larger context, the larger story to see how themes develop across a work of literature and all that is super important. But the thing that has stood out to me the most in this last year in reading is how literature helps us develop our empathy. Um, I don't think there's any other practice in my life that has helped me to uh, think through the way humans interact with one another, um, human motivation, Developing my, my comfort level with those characters who I, I don't like um, than reading. Uh, I'm currently teaching a women's fiction class, and one of the things about women's fiction that I think those of us who enjoy reading it feel we have to defend is that sometimes they can feel low on plot, and they're just heavy on relationships, like people talking to each other and just kind of having these <laughs> relationships. With themselves or with, the, with each other, sometimes they're romantic relationships, but that's the, the kind of building block of the, of the plot of a piece of women's fiction. And uh, what I've learned, though, is that when you observe and get invested in these relationships, gosh, you learn so much about how real human beings interact. And when you learn to pick up on those little tiny emotional cues through literature, you can start to do the same thing in life. So that empathy building exercise is a big deal. One of the books we just reread is Toni Morrison's Beloved. And um, I'm sorry, no, that's not, we did the bluest eye in this class. And wow, talk about an exercise in building empathy, because she pulls you into that narrative and makes you see into the mind of some of the most horrible characters that you would otherwise want to write off. And by the end of the novel, wow, you are just immersed in the life situations that led to each of these characters' choices. And so it's just this beautiful exercise in building empathy. So I I think that that's that's the book I would recommend for now because it's the most recent one I read that I would say, everybody read this so you can get a little empathy into someone else's situation that's not like yours. And that's why we should all read
0: I think that literature certainly helps us grow in our character. Uh, It's definitely character building and uh, it allows us to open our perspective and and see things, you know, uh, open our eyes, see things from other perspectives. Um, I also want to just sort of quickly mention that um, when we spend time in the word uh, not not scripture, but just in in literature in the word. Um, it helps us to become better thinkers and becoming better thinks us, thinkers helps us become better doers. And as Christians, we should be striving to be better thinkers and better doers uh, in all that we do to be uh, the best people that we can be uh, in order to, you know, in essence, share God's kingdom with the world around us. And um I think that for me, I'm always just really interested in a good story. You know, I like good stories because uh, good stories always tend to teach us something. My oldest daughter is 12 years old now. I think she's read 19 novels since the end of December, and um, you know, she just loves it and she eats it up. And the other day, she had been looking into something and there was a or reading something and there was a character and I don't remember the name of the book she was reading. It's not one I've read, but. Um, there was a character who was supposedly a good character was trying to do a good thing, but was hurting a bunch of people in the process of trying to get that good thing done. And she came to me and said, you know, I see what's going on here. And the book is trying to show me that um, even if you're doing the right thing, it matters how you do it, not just that you do it. And so um, sort of going along with the idea of empathy, you know, literature helps us become better people because it helps us see things Uh, and then when we take what we see and we look at our own life and we evaluate ourselves, you know, what can I learn from this? How can I modify my behavior based on what I've seen here so that I can become a better version of myself?
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much for letting me nerd out on one of my favorite topics today.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Aaron, Christine, thank you guys so much for your time today. Uh, For all you who have listened to the Faith and Culture Now podcast, thank you. And uh, just sort of recap us, you know, as you see people who are in, in um, you know, sort of high profile presence in society, if they claim to be Christians, the first thing to do is not to go, well, what's wrong with their Christian walk? The first thing to do is say, wow, how can I pray for them? I hope they have somebody in their life who's helping disciple them and uh, help them become the follower of Christ that, you know, they're meant to be. Um, And then you can think to yourself, and who's discipling me? And am I becoming the person who's following Christ as I'm meant to be? Um, When it comes to representation, uh, when it comes to seeing people who are different than you around you, um, it's good to be mindful of what needs they may have. And reading literature also helps you be mindful of what needs other people may have. It helps you to be opened up to what situations other people may be in so that you can empathize with them and hopefully help them where they're at, as opposed to expecting them to be where you are and uh, expecting them to sort of shift what they're doing to be around you. And so thank you guys so much for your time today. We'll see you next time on the Faith and Culture Now podcast.